Welcome to episode 200 of the Formula One Grid Top podcast. Today we are here to review the 2022 Monaco Grand Prix. My name is Ruby Price and joining me we have Sophia Richmond from Everything F1. Hiya. Hello. Uh, Philip Matthew from the Grip Strip podcast. Hello. Nice to have you. And Ray from Everay Day Motorsport. Hi. Absolutely love that name, Ray. Um, but first, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you could take five to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout out all of you who do to say thanks. And if you're one of the 69% of people who aren't yet subscribed to the channel, please consider helping us out with a like and a subscribe. Well, it took an hour to properly start, and at times it seems like it was just race and no control from the FIA. Um but we had a tight finish in Monaco in mixed conditions where Sergio Perez took a strategic victory ahead of Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen. Before we look at the race itself, Sophia, we need to talk about the delays and the, the red flag procedure. You know, it started with a 10 minute delay that became a 15 minute delay before we had two laps behind the safety car and then a 40 minute red flag period where there was no running from anyone on track. Like what went wrong at the start of the race? Should we have, should we have even had the delay at all? The amount of sheer confusion throughout the paddock and even within the race directors about what's going on. Even the commentaries were saying, let's bring Massey back for a little bit of experience. As questionable that is, it was just madness because like one minute you're seeing, oh, it's going to start soon. Like they're getting ready and all going to go out and then next minute delayed. And then the rain kept on coming back and forth. And then they were looking at the radar and viewing what's going over the mountains and what's going on the radar and like it was just so much miscommunication on the whole track between even different teams like when we were like talking to Christian Horner we were talking to others with Ted uh, mentioning a few times everyone had a different set of information and then some of the calls by the race directors some of them shouldn't have happened some of them like the red flag shouldn't have come out way like so much earlier shouldn't even have had the interest to start with with the tires it should have gone immediately to wets if they were able to start at the beginning madness and that's again like you said that's not even before actually starting the race which was mind-boggling like oh i i literally cannot wait to get into this on this podcast for sure yeah absolutely and phil there was even more confusion from the fans when the two-hour race clock, which is separate, we should add, to the, I think it's a three-hour time window now, was ticking down mm. when we didn't even have any cars on track. Like, do you know what was going on? And do you think even race control did? No, they had no bleeping clue. And it looked like they were they needed to be pumping gas somewhere or doing some other menial job instead of getting the millions of dollars that they make to run um, Formula One races. I mean, they're supposed to be very experienced in Le Mans, supposedly the one guy, and I don't know, the other dude that went and threw the, the inconvenient red flag last race or whatever. Like, I mean, I get that Michael Massey s sucked at life, but, you know, it's like you're replacing him with two guys that can't even work at Subway. I mean, it, it, it's really not... This is the pinnacle of motorsports, they say, and this is the biggest stage for Formula One is Monaco. It's the start of a day that for Americans, and as I've done two episodes this past week about, there's three of the biggest races in the world all take place on the same day. Everybody is watching. I mean, the indie people are obviously getting ready for their race, which is definitely the, uh, their biggest race of the year and, and biggest race in the world of greatest spectacle in racing, but... I don't understand any of that. They could have started that race at at three o'clock your time and nine and nine o'clock our time here in the East Coast, and they could have started the race. It would have been chaos, but the reality is then you put it on the teams. They're such they're supposed to be the greatest teams. They have all this money, all these different contraptions and tools and all these weather maps and garbage. Make them make the call. If if Alex Albon and Williams decides they somehow or another hit the right strat, they're out in front and he can literally park his car and win his first Grand Prix or some other driver. But instead, they literally took it out of the hands of the teams back and forth. I mean, even Bernd Maylander looked, you know, he looked very unhappy. I mean, at least get him a sandwich, get him something to eat, something like he didn't look very happy about the whole process. And you're you're sitting there, Eric Bouillet, I, I 
tweeted that out when Pinks went and talked to, spoke to Eric Boulier. Yeah, and it's his birthday too. Exactly. Get him a piece of cake. I mean, get get like have one of those fancy. You know, it's a very, it's a very, you know, I know I'm pretty sure he's married, he's got kids and all that, but, you know, go and have his kids out there, let them hang out, something, you know, instead you make them sit in the car all day because they don't know what they're doing. Um, I don't know. I mean, Boulier said they should be running right now. You're waiting on a cloud that isn't going to come yet. It's going to, if it's going to rain, it's going to rain, you know, it, it, there, Formula One, used to race in the rain until, I don't know, a couple of years ago, it would be pretty bad. Um, I'm not saying that it would have been the safest race um, or that it wouldn't have went under a yellow full safety car or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure it went under a full safety car because you saw what happened to Mick, um, unfortunately, again, which is something we'll talk later, but I'm just glad he's okay. It, But let the race let the race happen that's basically what it is and it didn't happen for an hour and nine minutes and in the end it came back down to nonsensical time limits and this and that and red flags anyway so it's like whatever yeah it did hit a point you know where the tv director like decided oh we don't need to know what lap it is let's just have the um time that's running down but um, a very scathing review from Philip there about the FIA. Um, Ray, Phil kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, we've got, I want to say 20 of the best drivers in the world, but we've got 18 and Latifi and Stroll uh, of the best motorsport drivers in the world. And they know how to drive in wet conditions. Obviously, we've got new cars. You know, they, they haven't, the reason why they decided to delay it was because we hadn't had any wet running um at all this weekend you know if i look back to i think it was last year or 2020 we went to nurburgring and had absolutely no practice running basically on the entire saturday and then we had one of the most amazing races of the entire season um like i say these are some of the this is the pinnacle of motorsport and then they end up having a rolling start behind the safety car do you think that was the right decision? Should they have just gone for a standing start, especially with this latter restart that we got as well? Uh, Ruby, personally, I think, you know, yes, they should have definitely gone for the standing start. I mean, standing starts, you know, it's more exciting compared to a rolling start. You have people, you know, if you mess up the start, you know, you're paying for it. There's a penalty. You're going to lose positions. And, you know, those back and those teams that are lower down the field, they have the opportunity to make some opportunistic moves at the start line. And, you know, since this is Monaco, that is most likely, you know, the most amount of overtaking you're going to get, realistically speaking, because of how narrow and how just how tight the track is. And yeah, I'm, personally, I'm not too happy with how race control handled all these things because, like you said, we have 20, you have, sorry, not 20, 18 of the world's best drivers. And, and I think, you know, they have the judgment. They know, you know, when should I be putting on the, what kind of tires? And I think the FIA, FIA's thoughts of, you know, Let's have let's just delay the start because we've not had any kind of wet weather running throughout the weekend. I don't think it's really a valid reason because I think if you look a few years back, I think in Singapore 2017, I think if I'm not wrong, and I remember correctly, the whole weekend was dry all the way until the race. And look at how well that race was. I mean, I remember how I was trying to study for my exams and you know, watch the race at the same time. But it ended up being such a good race. I just abandoned the studying and just watched the race all the way. And it's and you know, as a Ferrari fan, of course, you know it's it's a, it's a race I don't want to remember, but it's just so remember, so memorable because it's that good of a race. So I don't think FIA had any kind of valid reasons to been delayed to start. And you know, these like you said, these are twenty of the sorry, eighteen of the best drivers and ten of the best teams in the world supposedly. You no, know, why can't we just let them make the choices? And you know, if you make a wrong choice, they pay for it. Because I think even if you tell me, because just because it's Monaco. We had so many races across the years where you know there were races and they were epics. Just think about 1996 or even even earlier, there were many other races. So I don't see any kind of reason to delay it. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we're all kind of agreeing here is it should have come down to you know have a normal start. If we get well, we obviously did get rain about nine minutes afterwards that would have caused the red flag in the first place. But by that point, you know, let teams make that decision themselves that's ultimately i think what needed to happen um and i'm sure we can talk about this a lot more 
after the show. So if you're watching this on YouTube um, live, leave us some comments in the live chat. We'll answer any questions that you've got after the show. Um, well, we'll try and answer them all, but we might not get to them all. But let's let's actually start talking about the actual results. So, Sofia, um, Sergio Perez got his third ever race win um, for, and it's um, come at Monaco, and it's very much a strategic one. You know, it was one in the pits. But tell me, you know, how did Sergio Perez actually win this race today? I mean, he is known for his tire management, and that's exactly how it was. Obviously, towards the last couple of laps or the last couple of minutes, I should say. It was very bunching up to a four-way car battle, but he was able to defend so well. And again, on the mediums, originally Christian Horner was very unsure on if they were going to be able to last towards the end. But again, like his tire management is the best in the entire grid. And it was just amazing. And he is now the most successful. Yeah, he's now surpassed to be the most successful. Wow successful Mexican driver and he's also the first Northwestern drive North American driver after um Gilles to win as well um which is a cool stat but he was just so good um again pitch strategy kind of came into play again but that's always the case in Monaco so I'm not really expecting any kind of surprises in that kind of sense but yeah the time management especially coming back from uh, a poor qualifying spinning out towards his fast lap at the last minute. Um, Good race. I mean, there's there's so much that's happened in this race for all the drivers. Like, you could talk about them for, like, good 20, 30 minutes each driver and even still not scratch the surface. It was just an absolutely amazing race. So trying to remember every little detail is going to be definitely a challenge for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Philip, uh, let's t- look at Carlos Sainz. You know, he started P2, he's finished P2. It's his second uh, P2 in Monaco in a row. Um, but, you know, he didn't really... It was his race to lose when Charles Leclerc ended up behind him. And, you know, it was Carlos that came on the radio saying, nope, we're going straight from extreme wets to slicks. Um but do you think it was that decision that cost him a race win today? Or do you think ultimately, you know, the strategy just came down to Red Bull being the better team today? I think, Ruby, it was Red Bull did the better job across the board um, because Ferrari had the advantage initially. They were pulling away. Leclerc had a couple seconds on signs. And there was points where I was thinking that they were going to use team orders again on um, Sergio Perez and because the gap was kind of getting close, you know, within that one second, of course, DRS wasn't activated, but, you know, within that one second and, you know, Max will probably go and squawk about it. So I'm like, okay, that might happen. But then Red Bull played it right and they did what they had to do. Unfortunately for Carlos Sainz, I think probably may have been a couple laps. He had to stay out as long as he could to maximize going on a, on a slick tire, but the amount of laps and I guess the clear track that both Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen had uh, made the difference because that's where they were able to overtake and get those spots, which is where they ended up finishing it. Unfortunate for Carlos Sainz. I think we're going to talk about the person who's probably even more unfortunate uh, uh, than that, but for Carlos Sainz, it's been a rough go here recently so to get a second place finish at Monaco again is a positive in regards to them and the constructors battle. Um, it's not as much in regards to the points, but regular point driver points. But for him, um, getting some good positive momentum, it's a good thing uh, moving into this next stage of the season. Um, I think that win will come. I'm not sure where or when, but I think that win is going to come for Carlos Sainz. I think now that he's been able to at least stabilize um, and have a solid weekend like he had this weekend, um, I think he's back to his old smooth operator self. Yeah, I've missed hearing that at the end of a race, a smooth operation from Carlos Sainz. Uh, Ray, um, current championship leader, Max Verstappen, reigning world champion, First time this season that he's finished a race and not finished P1, but was a win ever really on the cards for Max Verstappen today in your eyes? Personally, I don't really think a win was really on the cards because 
let's just face it. I mean, Monaco, no matter how you try to think about it, it's a narrow track. It's difficult to overtake. And, you know, because of the rain and all the confusion there and how they did the rolling start, it was just difficult for Max to really overtake. And, you know, even when it came to the pit stops, you know, because there's no DRS and it's not so easy to do a kind of a switch even if they had to give the team order to do a switch because of how narrow the track is. And, you know, it can go wrong in so many ways. So I really don't think Max was there, was really had any kind of chance, especially see how Sergio was really on the ball with his tyres. You know, he managed to race really, really well. Even though towards the end, you know, he, he could tell he was struck on a struggle a bit because of the pressure, but he still kept it clean. And yeah, I just don't really think, it, was just, it just wasn't really Max's day in, in a sense. But I think he'll bounce back and yeah, he will probably have another win sooner or later. Yeah, absolutely. And vitally as well, Sophia, he finished ahead of his championship rival for 2022, Charles Leclerc. Um, ultimately, it was Ferrari that seemed to have cost Charles Leclerc a win in Monaco. Um, what what came down? What did it come down to? Um, at least he's finally finished a race in Monaco. But ultimately, you know, what was it that it it was the strategy today, wasn't it, that stopped him? Yeah, I mean, the curse is finally broken. I think it's now kind of moved on to Liam Lawson in um, F2 now. If anybody didn't watch that, should watch it. Um, I think it went down to that double pitch strategy when by the time Charles committed, he got the notification to try to stay out, but it was too late. And I think that's where it all ended up not... It lost Charles' his, his position. That's probably the key point that made him finish in fourth and not higher up and not on the podium. That one call. And I think it was just miscommunication. I think everyone was just so scrambling because no one was making sense of everything. Like you had different things coming out so many different times. You had yellow flags that turned green within a minute. Like it was so much confusion. And I think engineers and strategists were trying to figure out like what's the best call and at that time the double pit did work we saw that with red bull they did the same thing similar afterwards i think he could have stayed out a little bit a little bit longer but i think it was also max's pit to begin with with the undercut and then also with vettel kind of played into that as well with the timings i think that's that was the key point like had that pit not happened and he stayed off another one to two laps you could have seen charles on podium for sure yeah, absolutely. Um, and a driver today, Phil, that will be at least happy with where he's finished. You know, he's continued his run of finishing P5 every single race this season. George Russell in the Mercedes, what a race from him today. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's it's hard to come up. Like we were talking about a Mr. Saturday. Martin named a Mr. Sunday today. Um, he's had a great, uh, pretty strong start to this year, honestly. I mean, yeah, Bahrain, I think, was his one little blip at the start of the year. People were a little worried. But ever since then, I mean, honestly, he's been the better driver at the team. And I'm saying that as a fan of the other guy at the team. Uh, the notion that George is showing why they wanted him, they're showing why he's going to be the future, um, they have not done a good job with this car, but he's used to driving bad cars and he's responded better. And also, I mean, yes, they're making progress and they're, they're look to be progress today, even in the race compared to where they were at the start of the weekend, which bodes well, I think. I mean, they still have a huge gap. They still have major deficiencies to the top two cars, but, and teams or whatever, but I mean, George keeps on in this consistency. I mean, he's running very well, and he's maximizing everything, and that's all you can ask for, really. And and in and in turn, it also keeps Mercedes within reason so that they're able to kind of do what they have to do uh, versus, say, McLaren or whoever they're battling for third in the constructors. So, I mean, I'm, it's a great job by George. I mean... One of these days, I'll give him a good car to work with, and then it'll be kind of like what uh, the Bahrain 2 when he did what he did in that race. Um, and I think it'll be more like that. And um, those days are coming for him here probably later in the season. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot staked on a uh, Mercedes win this season, um, which, you know, will impact the way that I am presenting on a 
uh, episode of Grid Talk, should it happen or not. But um, it will be nice to see Mercedes return to the top no matter what happens. Um, but, Ray, let's look at Lando and Norris. So close at the end to P5, but ultimately just a couple of tenths off uh, George Russell at the end after making that late stop for some fresh tyres and was absolutely flying, you know, with one more lap, you know, as hard as it is to overtake at Monaco, you you definitely wouldn't put it past Lando having a chance past George Russell for P5 at the end, would you? No, I definitely, I think, you know, definitely, you know, if it wasn't Monaco, I think we have Lando passing George there. I think, you know, since we're talking about Lando, I think, you know, just think about, look at how he's developed as a driver. You know, I think 20, I think he's really learned a lot, adapted a lot since the last season, you know, over his whole time in Formula 1, he's actually been learning a lot, growing with the team. And I think like this season, you know, we've seen a much more mature, a much better Lando. You know, he isn't as impulsive as he used to be when he first started out. And, you know, yeah, I think definitely he would have made up the made up time to George. But yeah, I think we have to look at the car performance of the cars at some point or so because McLaren, you know, we know that McLaren didn't exact and Mercedes don't exactly have the best kind of car here. So we have to it's not it's not really a question of, you know, with the driver, because I think both George and uh, Lando are actually pretty close in terms of their ability at this point. It's more about the teams and the car because because I think both teams have, you know, didn't exactly do a really great job with this year's cars. You know, Mercedes had the problem with the, with the, with the arrow balance at Popoiting. And McLaren just, well, I'm not really sure what happened there. But yeah, I think it's definitely a possible thing just that, you know, the car is the issue for both drivers here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lando Norris did end up with the extra point for fastest lap, which, you know, I'm sure when you're not, exactly in the championship race um is just a nice bonus really but a driver who was definitely not really gunning for fastest lap for uh, the majority of the second half of the restart Sofia Fernando Alonso um just his entire post red flag strategy was keep Lewis behind and you know he did successfully do that and then you know he just gave us a little burst of speed with about five minutes to go but um Started P7, finished P7. What do you make of Fernando Alonso's race today? Literally a defense minister. Like <laughs> the train that he had for most of the cars was absolutely amazing. And like you would hear like the comms and like all the drivers getting really annoyed at Fernando because he's going super slow. At one point he was like 45 seconds out of like fast lap. He, he was going so, so slow. <laughs> and Hamilton was just not having it. He was getting so mad, so pissed off. He was just like, I want to overpass. Had it been for another track, it would have been easily done. But because it was Monaco with the tight roads, not many opportunities to overtake, all was perfect. Like The amount of memes I saw throughout the race of seeing Fernando's face on a train was absolutely hilarious. And like I think Crofty said FAQ, Fernando Alonso Q. Like, it was so good. And then... He was even uh, pushing for fastest lap a few times, like towards the end, like for the last couple of minutes. And I think the icing of the cake, if he was to get the fastest lap over Lando Norris, that would have been amazing. He was my driver of the day, hands down. His able to defend and even tire management again. He's another person that's really good with tire management. His strategy was so much better compared to Alcon's. And I think that goes down also to his age, skill, his time in F1 the knowledge of this track as well because obviously he's raced here more than um Alcon and everything as well but it's just a good race for him again started p7 finished p7 can't fault it kept his head down did the right strategies did the right calls and helped as well with um the teams as well with some of the bunching up the pack and then obviously with the blue flags coming in when the top four were overpassing those were good passes as well and that also kind of helped bunch up the four cars as well towards the last couple of minutes because they were at awkward times, some of them, because of how much of a train Fernando had. I think he had like up to five drivers behind him at some point. And then it kind of like dwindled down to maybe two or three and then Hamilton. So it was just a good race for him. I, yeah, like I said, he's he's my driver of the day for this race, which is, is to say a lot because there was so many good things that happened this race. Yeah, we had the... Uh... First, we had the Truly Train, as 
kindly pointed out by Ray. And now we've got FAQs. Um, you know, I hope we don't see many more of them personally, but you know, that's uh, Monaco, baby. Um, yeah, so Philip, uh, Lewis Hamilton, we already touched on him a little bit, but you know, he was he had pace, but when you're stuck behind a car going deliberately slowly at Monaco, there's not much you can do about that, is there? Yeah, it's just a byproduct of the entire season, really, for Lewis ever since Bahrain, really. Um, they didn't have he had pace. I mean, he had the same kind of pace as as George did, but he couldn't go anywhere. And then once uh, once El Plan ended uh, and he woke up from whatever slumber he was in, uh, he goes and drives away by three seconds. And Lewis is out in his own racing of, like, whoever, uh, Botas, Vettel, and, and Ocon, of course, who ends up, you know, the irony and all that is – Alonso does all that garbage and in the end screws his teammate out of points, which is great. Um, I mean, he did try to pass Ocon and Ocon did turn down on him. I mean, he was already halfway, at least had the front wheels there. So the notion that he couldn't see that is, is, I mean, it is Ocon, so it makes sense. But, you know, the, the holding up was going to happen. It is. And these cars are wider longer than they've ever been heavier than they've ever been i mean it's asking a lot to go and overtake at a lot of places but especially at monaco so um unfortunate but i think his weekend of course was compromised yesterday in qualifying and um he wasn't happy about that he wasn't happy on friday so at least i mean at least there's a con continuity for lewis this weekend he was not happy the whole weekend he's just going to reset he's going to go to his McMansion that he has up the street and and be with a bunch of famous people and break out bottles of Cristal or whatever he drinks. Um, and um, Angela will make sure it's the healthiest Cristal you can find. And um, since she pay, gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, supposedly, um, and he'll get ready uh, for the next race uh, because that's really all you can do. Yeah, I think the car should hopefully be performing better in um, Azerbaijan, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Ray, Valtteri Bottas inherited P9 after Ocon's five-second time penalty at the end of the race. Um, it was kind of a quiet one from Valtteri. Obviously, you know, there wasn't really much going on for the latter half of the race, but um, yeah, did you notice anything in particular about Valtteri's race? I think I would, well, I would just say she has, you know, smooth operator. There's so many things, I mean, you know, it could just go wrong here, but it's just Monaco. You could just mess up anytime, but I think Valtteri just drove his race, drove a calm one, clean one, and yeah, I think he just did a solid job, and then I think he's actually the right guy up from hired because I think we saw his performances early in the season. It was a really good, he just showed a driver, you know, who last year, many thought, you know, is it over him? Because, you know, we said last year he wasn't, it wasn't a great season for Bottas by any metric. You know, we saw how what happened in uh, his wet weather struggles, you know, we all remember Imola. And then there's also uh, Monaco last year where he does, he had our world's longest pit stop. Yeah, it was, and the Bottas we've seen this year is an entirely new driver. And I think I'm happy for him. And I'm also happy for Alfa Romeo because, you know, the team finally has a, a driver that can, you know, build themselves around long-term ever since, you know, they had Kimi Raikkonen, but Kimi was already at the end of his career. We had Antonio Giovinazzi, but, you know, let's just face it, Giovinazzi just wasn't performing as he should be. And, of course, they had Leclerc, who was great with the team for that one year, but sadly, you know, he just wasn't able to stay with them because of just how good he was. So I think both team and driver, you know, I think they have a great relationship moving forward and, I think, you know, this team and this combination is going to want to watch in the future because I think, you know, Alfa Romeo not have some actual ambitions, you know, beyond just staying at the end of the grid. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they can progress across the season and definitely into next year. Yeah, absolutely. Valtteri Bottas is very much coming back into his own now that he's, you know, leading Alfa Romeo um, and putting in the performances and getting some decent results, you know. Uh, would you have thought that Alfa Romeo would have, you know, finished in the points based on last year's car? 
no, absolutely not. Um, but a car as well that you wouldn't have really expected to be seeing in the points that much based on the performances at the start of this season, Sophia. Sebastian Vettel ended up inheriting P10 thanks to Ocon. Um, that'll be a nice thing for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, his streak has kind of changed a bit. So every race that he's finished in since 2008, he's always finished in top five. It's now going to change to in the points as of today. And that was by a close call by um, with Alcon getting the five second time penalty uh, for the incident with Hamilton. But I mean, he kind of kept his head down, like wasn't shown much about the race. His teammate, however, that's another different story. He was all over the place, as we saw. But it was just a clean race for him. And that's exactly what Aston Martin need. Obviously, with the controversy of the Red Bull <laughs> and everything that happened in Barcelona and now coming into it here, obviously, Barcelona wasn't their best race as well. So that kind of they needed a good enough race for at least one of the drivers. Obviously, they would like both, but we all know it's Stroll. If he can get past <laughs> P15, that's a win in Aston Martin's mind, I think. Controversy, I know. Come at me. I don't really care. Um, but with Vettel, again, and that also goes back as well with his, his experience. He's been on the wets in Monaco as well compared to some of the other drivers. Some of these drivers have never been um, in an F1 car in Monaco, let alone ridden on uh, the wets in Monaco as well. And especially with the new regs, wider, longer cars. I think, again, like Alonso, it's his experience, skills, and knowledge of the track that helped him. Again, he got into the points by technicality, by the five-second um, penalty from Alcon, but he still produced a good race. He had barely any miss-ups. I, I don't think he ever got close to a wall in any of the um, turns and corners and such. It was just a good, clean race for him. Yeah, and that's exactly what Aston Martin will be wanting from you know, the uh, four-time world champion. Phil, um, Pierre Gasly, P11 in the Alpha Tauri. Um, obviously, not Pierre's greatest weekend ever. He was, you know, outperformed by his teammate in qualifying, but certainly not in the race. Um, so, just a bit of a quiet one for Pierre today. Yeah, Ruby, his day, his weekend was compromised worse than anybody's. I think uh, yesterday, uh, due to the red flags and whatever Alpha Tauri's logic and discuss i mean that we talk about red flags that didn't have to happen they called a red flag in q1 for yuki sonoda to crash and brought the car back in rolling um no need to that would have gotten gasly in if, whatever i think gasly had a good lap forget who else was affected initial uh, uh, in the end because of that um but you know gasly had top five pace through every practice and he looked pretty pacey once he was able to switch his tire strategy. And I think it was an unfortunate, it's lost points. You know, you just gave away points there uh, by Alpha Tori, um, by just literally not by just swapping those guys around. Yuki would have done what he did today, more than likely anyway. And you would have gotten points out of Gasly and likely could have even finished in that battle um with george russell and and lando norris if not maybe even further who knows maybe get real crazy with it but um they could have dictated strategy they were trying to dictate strategy from where they were and it would have been an even more interesting race honestly if pierre gasly had been up front but unfortunately compromised by qualifying and the decision that his team made um after the red flag and, and it's unfortunate because he did a good job today and um, was one of the more entertaining pieces of the race for sure. Outside of all the circus sideshow antics that went on um, elsewhere. Yeah. Some absolutely fantastic overtakes by Pierre Gasly today. The, for the first half of the race, he was probably my driver of the race so far. Um, you know, seeing overtakes, in places you tend not to see in Monaco, but that's the beauty of mixed conditions. You know, these new opportunities present themselves. And, you know, Pierre Gasly last year showed that he knows his way around Monaco and can perform at Monaco. Just like you say, yesterday didn't get the opportunity to put himself in the position to do so. But, Ray, let's uh, look at Esteban Ocon. Obviously got that five-second penalty. What's your views? Was that a five-second penalty for Ocon? Was it a bit harsh? Was it... 
Um, I don't think anyone would describe it as lenient, apart from maybe Lewis Hamilton, who obviously got front wing damage from it. But um, Esteban Ocon, right decision, yes or no? Personally, I'm a bit mixed about this because, you know, both drivers were actually going wheel to wheel. They were trying to, Ocon was trying to defend for Hamilton for some time and it was quite a robust defense to be really honest about it. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not really sure if really it's, it is worthy of a penalty or not because part of me seems to lean towards a more racing incident since, you know, we are talking about Monaco. This is a very tight track and there's a bound to be contact when it comes to wheel to wheel and sometimes, unfortunately, you know, because it is wheel to wheel, wheel, to wheel racing, someone just loses it out. And in this case, it was Lewis. He lost his damage from wing. So I think FIA, you know, we have to kind of draw a line that says that what defines a racing incident and what kind of def- what is like, you know, deserves a penalty because at the end of the day, I think what the fans and what all the drivers want is to have, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing. And that's what we've been given, you know, with the new 2022 cars because you can follow more easily. And yeah, I'm more concerned that, you know, if we keep clamping down on, you know, on every incident, we have the situation where the drivers just decide, you know, they should try to avoid all contact, you know, and end up, I mean, we just get a procession, which I think nobody wants. So I'm a bit mixed about this, although I, and I'm actually leaning towards more towards a racing incident rather than, you know, something worthy of a penalty per se. Calling for consistency from the FIA, the only person that's got less consistency than them is uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who finished P13 today, Sophia. Um, you know, it was kind of always going to happen after a bit, an unfortunate uh, incident in, I think it was FP3 or maybe qualifying yeah. one of the two. Yeah, it would have been FP3 because he obviously got into Q2 for qualifying. Um, but yeah, it was just an unfortunate and completely off the pace weekend for Daniel Ricciardo, wasn't it? Oh, I'm getting all the drivers this podcast. I love it. Um, oh, I think this is potentially one of the nails in Daniel Ricciardo's coffin. Um, I said it last week on um, talking to Everything F1 and on previous podcasts with the Grid Talk. It just, it's not been a good race and it's been like this since the beginning, really, for him. Obviously, like, Australia had some kind of, like, oh, is this McLaren finally back? Like, it, obviously, Lando did well as well. Like, it's finally coming back. And then Lando's just progressed so much higher. And then Daniel's just kind of fallen back down. And I think, like I said, I feel like it's just, like, towards the end. Obviously, there's rumors about a driver swap. And it's looking like it could be Ricardo if that is to happen. Um, some of the key things as well, obviously, FP3 had the crash. First, the engineer said, is the car okay? Didn't mention about himself. He said, I'm okay. He even had it in qualifying in Sharpie on his helmet, FEA, which meant like F them all. Like he, and his interviews as well, it's just like, he's kind of given up. Like there's no spark. There's no kind of energy. Zach Brown's mentioned about potentially breaking contracts. Like that is possible if it goes down to that way. And it just doesn't seem it's towards the end and especially with how Monica was as well this whole weekend for him was not good even in free practices as well regardless of the crash he wasn't doing that well Lino was way above him and especially because he's still battling tonsillitis even Barcelona when he was like full-blown on tonsillitis was still outperforming Daniel Ricciardo it's it is the end I think and coming from a McLaren fan as a team in general it is need to be done because how many more races can they go without scoring points for both of the drivers they want to be top four in constructors and at the moment daniel ricardo's uh daniel ricardo is pulling them down and i think they need new people and new blood new energy because i think it's just kind of getting away from it now and as heartbreaking as it is he's won monaco like he's had pole positions like this is one of his favorite tracks i think it is like it's one of the iconic ones when he was at red bull but I think since he left Red Bull, it's just gone downhill. And this weekend, and McLaren kind of proved it that this could be the end of Daniel Ricciardo's F1 career at the moment. Yeah, he has been sort of there or thereabouts for the majority of the season so far. But obviously, there have been a couple of blips. And, you know, Monaco was very much a big blip for Daniel Ricciardo. And, you know, we'll be wanting to see him, you know, up at the front of the grid, smiling as we've known him. But, you know, since leaving Red Bull, he's not been at the same level. Since leaving Renault, he's certainly not been at the same level, despite the win in Monza last season, which, you know, ultimately did come down to 
what happened in which did come down to ultimately what happened in front of him. Um, but yeah, a driver as well who's not really performing. Well, he's kind of performing where we expect him to, Phil. It's Lance Stroll, P14 today. Um, did anything yeah. of note happen to Lance Stroll? I don't even remember. I've got anything in my I notes. Think, I think him and uh, his uh, Canadian buddy uh, uh, Latifi were getting in a little argy-bargy before the race even started, crashing into stuff and doing things and picky pit stops and uh so yeah he had to he got himself a little bit of air time and there was errors on the screen saying that he might have been on intermediates instead of full wets so there was a little bit of time to spend on that and then that was it um because it's lamb stroll um so i mean i guess that's the end of that one sophia's getting a lot of the good ones and and then I get Lance Stroll. I, I'll, I'll add, since I don't have anything else to say about him, because it wouldn't be nice anyways, um, I'll add that Pato Award, um, who was leading the race just now in the Indianapolis 500 um, during pit stop sequence, is been has been signed by Arrow McLaren or McLaren Racing for the next uh, three years. And I would assume uh, that one of the clauses in said contract they said, oh, he's going to be a test driver for McLaren. Well, I also would venture to say that one of those clauses is, oh, if there's a Formula One opportunity, we're going to move you there um, because they're going to be signing Alexander Rossi here in the next few weeks as well for their IndyCar program. So um, in an expanded IndyCar program. So I would assume that they're trying to hedge um, on the possibility of Pato Award possibly getting that call up. So we will see. It's unfortunate. And Daniel Ricardo, though, has probably got plenty of options here in the United States <laughs> if it goes bad, um, which it is. Uh, so we'll see with that. Yeah. Right. Um, the first of the lap runners then, Nicholas Latifi, um, crashed on the formation lap, managed to get going again. But, you know, ultimately a disappointing race where he, you know, finished out of his teammate who DNF'd story of the season well it is Nicholas Latifi after all so I'm not too sure what we really were expecting in the day and maybe if he just parked the car there and then you know maybe he would self save William some cost in terms of fuel it helped in the development but yeah I mean at the end of the day I think it's another typical Latifi weekend nothing much to really expect he as usual you know he was I think he was I'm not sure if let me just check qualify again. I can't remember who qualified where, where. But I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, Latifi was once again out-qualified by Alex Albon. And, you know, yeah, it's just, let me just take a look. I'm fairly certain it was 19th. He was 19th, so who was 20th? But unfortunately, there's no more. We don't have Maspin here to pull, to help him, you know, stay away from P20. Oh, it was Joe who was last. But yeah, he was out-qualified. And um, he was outraced again by Albon in the sense because Albon just performed so much better until he had a mechanical failure. Because if 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 you remember, Albon was actually setting the fastest lap for a period of time, I think, in the early stages of the restart. But yeah, anyway, I don't think Latifi will be staying beyond the end of the season because Williams don't need a pay driver anymore. They don't need his money. And I think it'll be interesting to see who will be taking that second seat next to Albon here. Because I don't think, you know, Williams is any driver at the moment. It's academy that's really just make a step up to Formula 1 for next year. So it'll be quite interesting to see who, who will be the second seat. Yeah, I, I would wager that Williams might want to try and get in someone with a bit more experience. Just, you know, the same way Alfa Romeo brought in Valtteri Bottas and it shot them up the grid. Bring someone in, you know, from one of the higher up teams and hopefully get someone with that kind of experience as well. Um, Sophia, uh, we saw a fabulous save from Zhou Guangyu when he was trying to overtake Nicholas Latifi. Um, but ultimately, you know, he started last, he's finished, um, second last of the runners, um, ahead of Yuki Sonoda, who, you know, almost kept it on the track for a lap or two. Um, was there anything else from Zhou Guangyu apart from the save that actually took your notice? that save that was just like 
because Paris as well had a save, I think it was Paris of Signs. One of them had a save as well, very similar to that. And coming from a rookie as well, again, never raced on an F1, uh, in an F1 car on Monaco, in a new regulations, in a new car, on a wet. Like, he's, he's proven himself as well. There was a lot of controversy when he was coming in about, obviously, he paid for a seat. That was a given kind of pushed out um, Antonio Giovinazzi. But, like, he's proven himself compared to other pay driver spots and rookie driver spots as well. He's consistently has been doing quite well. He's had a rough couple of three races, like two DNFs due to engine faults in, um, in Barcelona and Miami, and now this as well. It It's still good, like, but that save, I think, was probably the highlight of the race for him. I mean, he jokes like that he's he needed new suits after that because... <laughs> How did he not go into the wall? That was kind of holding your breath. Like, obviously, we didn't, well, I didn't see it on Sky Sports. Um, it was kind of a replay clip of that at the time. But watching it back, that's something that you would see, like, the most experienced drivers. That move that he did saved the car as well, especially with the cost cap coming um, into play as well. They need to save every money that they can to probably look for upgrades and try to get um, Guan Zhou to be a lot higher up to Bartas because it's been a few times that he's been kind of close to Bartas and then he's had faults not through his own um, that may, makes him drop down but he's doing quite well for a new rookie driver into F1 with the new regs and everything because everyone's still trying to figure out the new regs as well so doing quite well but yeah that save oh, 10 out of 10 yeah absolutely and it was uh, Carlos Sainz that pulled off the other fabulous save in the race Um yeah, you know, you've got to give it to Joe. He was give he, he gave it a go to try and get past Latifi, and it was one of those do or die moments, and ultimately um, managed to save it. So yeah, uh, Phil, on to another um, Yuki Sonoda. Um, the amount of times he went off at Sandovot, um, you'd think that that was where he thought the racing line was. <laughs> well, I mean, this was he crashed in qualifying. They through red flag as we mentioned earlier and it screwed his teammate over and then today was not wasn't much better for him uh they ended up pitting him and i guess they thought that he could do something on on soft tires and uh, he didn't and he finished plum last um at that point you just probably should just call him in and park the car uh, he didn't have a great day today there's been moments here this year for yuki where he's shown uh, progression but then it comes right back to earth and that inconsistency is something that I mean when it comes to Red Bull and their driver development program this is we need another episode just to talk about how they deal with their drivers but in Yuki's case he should be glad there really isn't anybody theoretically ready um, uh, in the next level uh, because that and because of the connection with Honda as well um, because it's not really that great. Um, you think about what Sophia was talking about with Joe. Um, yes, financials notwithstanding, he is actually not doing all that bad. Um, he is ahead. Mick Schumacher hasn't scored a point yet in his career. Um, you have Latifi who hasn't scored a point this year. And he's been in Formula 1 for three or four years. And Alexander Albon has scored points in that car. You know, So at the end of the day, it's like, you need that consistency. It was, uh, and it was a horrible weekend for Alpha Tori. Um, absolutely screwed it from the jump out on Saturday. They just absolutely messed things up. That one decision they made is literally drove their whole entire weekend into the ground because Gasly was looking at a top five finish today, possibly top six for sh- top six certainty, maybe. Um, definitely would have been ahead of the Fernando Alonso's Renault Clio and and um, um, Lewis's um, broken down Mercedes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Uh, there was not much really to say about Alex Albon other than you know he obviously would he was absolutely flying at one point in the earliest stages of the race. Retired with mechanical issues. Um, where do you where would you have seen Alex finishing um you know if he hadn't retired if Alex had retired 
honestly, I wouldn't have seen him. I would think he had gone up more higher than maybe one or two positions, realistically. I can't remember where he was when he retired because let's just say Resurrection today was, in the terms of the camera work, was it was not good at all. So there's some things that I've made that I can't really, you know, think offhand. But I think, yeah, the, the best case scenario was maybe one or two positions ahead because that Williams, you know, it's not really been a really great car per se. And I think Alex, you know, has been really driving probably I would say I would say he's been driving the wheels off the, the that car at this point, just like how Russell did with, over the past, I think 2018, 19, 20, yeah. So 19, yeah, the three years that he was at Williams. So I think the best case really was just plus one or plus two positions. And there's yeah, there's nothing you can really do unless you know Williams can make its not so good car suddenly you know be, become something like a Mercedes, which is not possible, of course. Yeah, I mean, one thing that Williams have certainly been doing since the turbo hybrid era started was relying on that Mercedes power unit, and then everything post twenty seventeen just sort of seemed to indicate that you know they just didn't have the car itself to perform. Um, yeah, uh, Sophia, Mick Schumacher had a very hefty collision with the barrier um, in what was a very strange circumstance as well, obviously, like the car ended up in two pieces with the entire just gearbox rear end separated from the car. Like, obviously, it's good that he seems to be OK after that. But, you know, it's it's another situation where Mick Schumacher is either DNF or just not finishing the points at all heartbreaking seeing it pan out to that crash and you just see it split into first thought Grosjean like all, it was scary to see and then luckily right after we had the radio saying that he was fine and such and had the clips my one thing that I have to say about this entire race as well the feed onto the TV was very confusing and very difficult to follow along throughout the race. The fact that you kept on seeing like yellow flags, nothing being mentioned, even the comms box got strolled a few times when they were talking about things and the feed got cut out or just never had never shown. But with the split, I think that's also proving that the new regulations following after Grosjean's accident, because if they have an impact like that, they it should split in order to for the safety of the driver. So we can finally see some rules and regulations that the FIA has finally put in actually doing the work for it. Obviously, probably the last one I can think of off the top of my head is the Halo introduction. So that was good. Feel sorry for whoever's going to be paying for that damage. That's going to be close, I would say, two to three million starting without even like going into the details about what's finished. And with Haas not introducing any new parts until at least Silverstone we might see next race in Baku some new ones coming in a little bit early because of the damage that's been happening but Mick overall he did a good race up until that crash and even that crash wasn't it was a weird one I think he just got too close to a wet line and I think he just kind of slid out he couldn't pull the save like Carlos he couldn't pull the save like um Joe Guan Yu and it just slid out and that could be, again, I keep on bringing this up. I keep on bringing up about experience and time on the wets and Monaco and such, but that's been such a crucial thing, this race. it Those who have experience shows, for sure. Um, and even, like, quick wit as well, in some cases. But, yeah, heartbreaking for Mick. I mean, I didn't think he was going to get points, though, in this race. He was close to, potentially. But I didn't think he was going to get points. And I'm still waiting for that. I like everyone's been rooting for him. He's one of the drivers that I think could be on watch. Obviously, he has the name to live up to because of his dad and such. But he hasn't proven as much compared to Yuki, compared to uh, Joe Guan Yu. Like he hasn't made any points, whereas both of them have had points. Um, and I think with Kevin Magnuson coming in as well, that's going to help. But it's still he kind of needs to step up now because as much as we don't want to lose him, it could be possible if he's proving to be costly and proving not to pull out the performances that they're expecting. Obviously he has a lot more pressure on him for sure, but he did well in F2 and F3. Like he has proven himself to be good. We're just not seeing it in F1 and it should come 
hopefully soon might see in Baku another street track hopefully it doesn't rain I don't think it will but you never know like we saw this weekend um but yeah I'm glad that he's okay that's the biggest thing that he was able to come out okay right after Kevin Magnuson like finished which was bad timing for Haas as well like oh heartbreaking literally heartbreaking yeah very heartbreaking and another big crash from Mick Schumacher again totaling a Haas which for a team with a very very small budget is not what they need at the minute and you know we've just obviously touched on this Phil Kevin Magnussen DNF'd with a water pressure issue I think it was just before Mick Schumacher's DNF as well um ultimately just not a very good weekend for the Haas team yeah, that's kind of the ebbs and flows for the team right now, Ruby. They have had great moments early in the season, but then there's been races where they have not been in the mix. And this was definitely not one of those. And, um, you know, piggyback, piggybacking off of what Sophia was saying in regards to um, Mick with these crashes at these street courses, it's becoming a trend now um, and an unfortunate trend. And then on the flip side, you have Kevin Magnuson, who the new lease on life that he's had being back in Formula One with Haas and the good camaraderie and the good team um, deal they have going on right now. Um, But the money, I mean, Gene Haas is a multimillionaire, but you're capped at a certain amount of money and you're going to be taking penalties left and right here once we get past the summer break, probably. Um, for Mick Schumacher, so that chase for a point is going to be tough, and for Kevin Magnuson, hopefully the the upgrades they bring um, here in a month's time will be good, but um, they're going to be struggling probably at Baku and also at Montreal um, without getting upgrades relative to um, you know the likes of Alfa Romeo and some of the other teams that they are battling with at the moment in the standings. I mean, they're they're only two points behind Alpha Tori. You know, Alpha Romeo is actually in their own battle with Alpine. So um, Haas and Alpha Tori. So they're going to be giving up ground to them. The possibility of Aston Martin responding it could become a problem for them. So all of a sudden, that good start to the year that they had might um, kind of go by the wayside. Um, if they're not able to maximize things here in the next few races, but we'll see what happens with that. Unfortunate, another engine uh, issue, but at least they didn't, you know, grenade it and they'll be able to repair it, you know, kind of deal. It's it, um, So at least uh, they won't be in a position where it could be a bigger problem there. And it could be worse. There could be a Russian driving for that team and also owning it, you know, so we're glad about that for 2022's Haas, um, as unfortunate it is for Ukraine. Um, so let's uh, let's uh, start actually looking at our stars of the race. We've already had one very much mentioned from Sophia, but Ray, your driver of the day, please. I'm having a very difficult thought about this one because a part of me wants to say Fernando, the other part of me does me... I want to choose Checo, but I don't know. And I don't disagree with Checo because you know I think it's a pretty good, it's a really good race. You know, he had the strategy, he took advantage of it, drove cleanly. And I think it's a really good comeback, you know, after what happened last week in Barcelona. Because I think it really it, I cannot imagine you know, how much it hurt, you know, you race so hard to get a win and you know to be told by a team, okay, let the other driver pass. Especially so early in the season where I don't think it's an it's a necessary thing for team orders. But then on the other hand, Fernando, Fernando driving the world's widest F1 car, you know, like he was, he, as if he was driving, his car was the, the width of the circuit. So I'm pretty conflicted over that. It's either these two, yeah, for me. Yeah, we've had Giga Kibitza, now we've got Giga Nando. Um, Sophia, are you actually going to stick with Giga Nando um, as your driver of the day? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm going to stick with him. There's a few honorable mentions, and I've kind of touched about it because I've had the best drivers today on this podcast. <laughs> um, a lot of them have been my picks for driver of the day. Um, but no, I'm going to stick with Fernando. He's showing his skill. He's showing, as controversy as it is, he deserves a seat currently. 
might be a play for next year if they want to keep him on because of how well he's been doing for the team, not so much for him in regards to points, but for the team itself and constructors. Yeah, he's my driver of the day. Yeah, I mean, you know, it would have been nice to see him go a bit quicker whilst keeping Lewis behind, but you, you got to run your own race. Um, Phil, your uh, driver of the day, please. I think it's a tie between Pierre Gasly and George Russell. Pierre Gasly, because he actually provided entertainment today um, because his team did such a terrible job yesterday. And then George Russell, even though we didn't get to see him uh, maximizing a top five finish um, and continuing the the streak to start this season, um, being able to give a little bit positive uh momentum for Mercedes as they move to these next two races um, here, which hopefully might bring more upgrades and more opportunities for them. But um, I, I kind of think it's a tie there. Um, you'd want to say Checo because of the job he did, but I think it was as much to do with his team um, and their strategy that, that dictated that. Um, outside of that, I'm not really sure who else we could really pick. So those are my guys there. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't the Ferrari strategists that were the um, star t- contenders today. Um, I think I'm going to go Pierre Gasly, just like you. Um, you know, he was my star for the first half of the race. like, And then ultimately, there wasn't really much to um, talk about for the second half post the r- red flag. So, yeah, I think Pierre Gasly, you know, pulling off overtakes left, right and well, left. Left and right, um, not quite centre, because otherwise you'd go through the car in front of you. Um, but yeah, Pierre Gasly for my driver of the day. Um, and we'll look to see what happens in Azerbaijan in two weeks' time. But now is obviously the time to give you guys a chance to promote yourselves, because obviously you're not just you're not just from Grid Talk, you're from everywhere else. So, um, Ray, let's start with you. Everyday Motorsport, give us a little pitch. Uh, so I'm Ray for Everyday Motorsport, and uh, well, I used to make videos because I haven't made some videos in some time. Don't worry, there will be content coming soon. I promise. And yeah, I also write a thread on Twitter based on some controversial opinions I have from time to time, which you can find at everready underscore MSPRT because it cannot Twitter just cannot afford giving the characters to write motorsport, sadly. And yeah, that's about it for me. Yeah, absolutely. Sophia, you're from Everything F1. Is there anything you want to like say about that? Yeah, um, as mentioned, I'm part of the Everything F1 team. We are on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we have TikTok now, and it's either under Join EF1 or Everything F1. We have a website, www.everythingf1.com, posting articles, primarily F1, but we are doing content on f2 f3 w series formula e pretty much anything motorsports uh we have a weekly podcast that gets filmed live on a tuesday night most of the time and released on a wednesday with amazing special guests last week we had lucas degrassi on we've had callum islet few big ones coming in down the future as well and yeah i think that's pretty much it for um everything f1 yeah and phil you're from the grip strip podcast Yep, uh, Gripster Podcast. Uh, basically, if it goes fast, two and four wheels, we talk about it on the Gripster Podcast. Where uh, myself and Josh Fine, uh, who's a great sim racer, uh, we go and talk about all things. We talk about Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, motorcycles, etc., uh, etc. Et We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, Verbal, and we, Josh, just set up a new YouTube page for us, so now you get to look at our beautiful faces on YouTube as well if you want to take in your Grip Strip podcast uh, that way. Um, we had some special guests on this past weekend, uh, or this past week, uh, NASCAR-related and also IndyCar-related, so if you want to go and take in uh, some information and some good information and tidbits. You have it from those guys as well. So um, thanks as always to the crew here. And thanks Ruby for doing such a great job. Um, uh, hosting this show is so stressful. You've done it so many times. I don't know how you pull it off and you do it with uh, such grace. Um, I've done it twice and it hasn't been anywhere near as, near as good. So 
appreciate you and the great job that you do too. And great to meet you both, Sophia and Ray. Oh, thanks, Phil. I always want to see more of your beautiful face as well. Um, but yeah, if people want to find me anywhere, I also do a music podcast, Fresh from the Scene, at F-F-T-S-C-E-N-E on the socials. Um, and it's also available on all of the usual podcast platforms, which I will be listening at the end of the show anyway. Um, my most recent episode featuring the lead vocalist of um, pop punk post-hardcore band Trashboat. Very fun. It's out there now. Go and listen to it. And if you want to follow me on the socials, it's at Rubes, R-U-U-B-E-Z, or maybe a 001, depending on the platform, because someone beat me to it. Um, you know, the the you'd think you'd be safe with a username like that. But anyway, um, Grid Talk is available on YouTube, where most, pad, where most podcasts are recorded live, as well as Amazon Fire, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio and Pocket Casts. Just search Formula on Grid Talk for our back catalogue of shows with previews and reactions to qualifying and race results. Please consider supporting the channel on Patreon so we can get mics, lights and better recording equipment. You can get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise on f1chronicle.com forward slash store. Also, make sure you subscribe so you're the first to know when each new weekly episode is released. If you're watching the YouTube show live, stick around because we'll be answering some more questions that you've got and maybe talking about some other things that didn't quite get a mention during the show. But uh, for now, we'll be back soon with plenty more F1 content, including the Azerbaijan Grand Preview next weekend. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.